Just before I say the benediction, let me draw your attention to Galatians, and I will read through some of these without too much commentary, um, if I could uh, restrain myself. But Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, then I'm going to slip quickly back to Romans chapter 8, um, read a passage, but here's the essence of it, so that you can understand uh, continuation for those of you who were with us this morning. We, as children of God, was matter of fact, in case you have forgotten that or haven't given that much thought recently, you and I are God's children. If you have placed faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes, especially if we have been Christians for so long, I believe that sometimes we have taken that truth, fundamental truth, for granted. And so my sharing with you this evening is just simply to remind you of whose you are. And then to think about what it cost, what it cost God for you and I to be here today. And not just to be here, but to be here as his children. Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 through 7 says in part these words. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law in order that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Let me stop there. That's a key phrase for me. You have received the adoption. You and I have been adopted as God's sons and daughters. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17 says again, in part, and I quote, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. I believe to fully appreciate the magnitude of our current standing in relationship to God, we must reflect on some historical past realities from being the object of God's wrath because of our position before holy God, sinners, condemned. Moving from that position of being the object of God's wrath, being enemies of God's slaves to sin, we then move to sons of God. That's a huge transition. How did it happen? Not only sons of God, but ultimately glorification. That's still for us in the future. I mentioned briefly this morning this fact, and let's go rather quickly, that we as human beings are depraved, totally depraved. Call it the doctrine of total depravity of man. Our intellect is deprived, our emotions are deprived, our will 
is deprived. There is none good, no, not one. But it says this, there's also the sovereign selection or sovereign election of God. And that is the eternal act of God all by himself. Ephesians 1.4 says this, He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Think about that. God chose us before the foundation of the world. Did you know? When do you know that you were one of the elect? You will never know that until after you have placed faith in Jesus Christ, because before that you were not in the right position to understand or even receive that vital truth. So you could be seated amid many people who are wondering, I wonder if this one is a member of that elect group of persons that God has elected before the foundation of the world. Would it be a waste of my time to share the gospel with this person if they are not one of the elect? May I kindly suggest to you that that is none of your business. Your business is to share the gospel with everyone. Because isn't it true that Christ died for all? It is not our responsibility to determine beforehand who will be a part of that elect group. However, we know what is required. One must place faith in Jesus Christ. But it tells us, and this is so amazing for me, that before the foundation of the world, God had already elected me and you to be a part of his family, to be adopted into his family. We are God's children. I mentioned this morning that it is written in the book. The Bible says, so in other words, God says that you and I are his children. Does that do anything for you? Or do you prefer to have another father? God, who we've been singing about, he is our father. And what a wonderful father he is. I'm not sure we have given sufficient thought to just how privileged, how blessed we are. David says this way, when I, I think it's in Psalm 8, that when I consider the heavens, you know, and in the work of your hands or your fingers, the moon and the stars, when I, when I think about that, no, no, why are you thinking, why are you so, why you give man even a thought? Why do you even care about man? But you know, I'm glad he did. I'm glad he still does care about man. And not only that, God has crowned us with glory and honor, or majesty. That sounds to me like not only has God saved us, redeemed us, but then he elevates us. He has promoted us. This morning I used the analogy because Paul uses it and it's such a vivid picture. If we can understand the the analogy there that we were slaves to sin, now we become slaves, Paul likes to use the term, slaves of Christ. But not only slave, 
Because there's a difference between being a slave and being a son, isn't it? That sounds like that's an upgrade. First class, moving up. Because the slave don't necessarily inherit anything. But certainly the children do. Can you imagine that? That you and I are heirs of God. Not that God is going to pass away anytime soon. You know. But we are heirs of God. What does that mean to you? Sometimes in your fantasy, have you ever thought, boy, I wish I was a part of that family? Is it because they have things or access to or resources to acquire many things? What about God? You and I are joint heirs. Isn't that cool? Joint heirs with Christ. And just the thought of that, you say, wow, God, you are too good to us. But we don't live in that truth from day to day. And that's so unfortunate. And again, let me say again, we have been totally deprived. See the transition. And then God, from before the foundations of the world, elected us. Amazing. Amazing indeed. In First, Second Timothy 1.9, it says that he who has saved us, that's God, and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. This certainly, certainly is, I believe, an expression of God's love. It is not dependent or conditioned or merited by man. It reflects the justice of God. There can be no charge of injustice against God in his election process. Romans 9, 14, verse 20 says this, What shall we say then? There is no injustice with God, is there? May it never be. On the contrary, you who are, you, sorry, who are you, O man, who answers back to God? The thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this? Will it? That's the election of God. What God does is well done. There is no higher authority. He is the absolute sovereign being of all the universe. And then we mentioned, see the transition from total depravity to God's election of us as his children. And how did that come through? It comes through this process we call God's, let me say, irresistible grace. We've been singing about that. It's amazing. God's grace. Romans 5.20 says, in fact, it says that, The law came so that transgression might increase. But says where sin increased, grace. Grace shows up in a larger dosage. Grace much more abound. This grace, it was absolutely necessary to rescue man from his state of total depravity. It is the unmerited favor of God. Man can do nothing to save himself or make himself guiltless before a holy God. God, therefore, must take the initiative and bless the Lord. I'm so glad he did. Offering us his efficacious grace. We were in no position to save ourselves. Hopeless. 
lost. God initiated everything. For me, that invoked in me a sense of deep gratitude. How do I say thanks to God who has done all of this for me? William Chidi Shedd states it this way, and I concur with what he says. He says, grace is imparted to sinful man, not because he believes, but in order that he may believe, for faith itself is a gift of God. Wow. And you thought that this was because you did it. You placed faith. Even the faith that you have, that's a gift from God. I think God then has gone far beyond requirements to get you and I to be a part of his family. And so I thank him profusely. The result of that is what we call redemption. This peculiar particular redemption from the Greek word which means to purchase in the marketplace. Here comes that phrase concept of being on the marketplace where you were slave. And God comes along and says, pays the price. This one is mine. Frequently, it had to do with the sale of a slave in the marketplace. For us, it describes the believers being purchased out of the slave market of sin and set free from sin's bondage. The purchase price was simply this, the death of Jesus Christ. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says, For you have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. You and I have been bought with a price. The precious life, the precious blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1.18 says, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers. Wow. That's amazing. God has redeemed us. See yourself in that light. I mentioned this morning the fact that when you think about slavery and slave trading, the concept of a person being bought who has no, no value, they don't count in anything. They are considered things. But then comes, in our case, transition to we as his children. We were in no state to save ourselves. Slaves to sin. Condemned. From God's perspective, we were the object of his wrath. And God, in his sovereign election, chose us, applied grace to us, redeemed us. Wow. Not only that then God moves in with what we call security. I've asked this question so often when people raise the concern, is it possible, as God's children, is it possible for you not to be God's child? I ask the question this way just to make sure a person can think through it carefully. You and I are biologically the child of by mother and father. Here's a question. What can I do so that I am no longer, what can you do so that you are no longer your parent's child? I know what Bill Cosby said. 
But what can you do so that you and I are no longer our parents' child? You can go to a court and you can divorce, I'm told in some places, your parents so that they are no longer your parents. But isn't that futile? Because when it comes right down to it, if we do your history, before you showed up there in that court or wherever that room is when they decide you're going to be no longer the child of these persons, the question, and you do a little history, is to um, the person who's standing there, the question is, were you born? Yes. Who gave birth? Whoever gave birth to you, that's your mother. And before that birth, there was a conception. Who was involved in that process? You have to name somebody. There has to be another male in biology. You need the X and the Y chromosome. But the point is, you have a parent. The question now is, how do you undo that? There is not, you can deny it. You can say, and sometimes when Bohemian, certainly Bohemian vernacular, when a child or a parent is angry with a child, or a child is angry with a parent, they will say, you are not my parent. You are not my mother or my father. And the parent might say to the child, you are no longer my child. They say that. But is it true? No. They might treat you as if you are not their child. That's something to deal more with relationship, isn't it? Or is it fellowship? I think it is more fellowship. The relationship is fixed. It is irreversible. May I suggest to you that because of the way in which you and I became children of God, that it is irreversible. You say it this way. Once saved, always saved. The question is this, who saved you? God did. Will God reverse that? If I sin, he would. Is that true? It's not in the book. But some people say that. If you understand the process of your biological birth, you can see how impossible it is. Do you remember the, the, the channel 27? No. Nick at night. Do you remember when Nicodemus came to Jesus by night and he used the same thing when Jesus said, you must be born again? And he says, how do I do that? Do I go back into my mother's womb? That's because he was thinking biologically. Jesus is thinking, speaking spiritually. If we understand the process in which we became children of God, then you should relax and understand that, hey, your status, your relationship with God is fixed. It was not dependent on me from the foundations of the world. God has elected us. Now think about it. If God could lose, if God can't keep what is his, that's a serious concern for me, you know. Do we have to hire a security firm to keep us safe? Because I can't keep myself safe. If I could keep myself safe, then come to think about it, I don't think I needed God in the first place. Because I could do this by myself. You say, God, I got this. I can take care of this. But no. We were totally depraved, unable to save ourselves, helpless to do so. God took the initiative way back from eternity past, elected us, applied his grace to us when we didn't deserve it. So it had nothing to do with our own merit 
our own status, our own competence, our own sinlessness. God redeemed us. Not only that, then he secured us. Let me read again in your hearing. It is written, according to Romans 8, 28 through 30, these words in part. The ones the Father foreknew, predestined, called, unjustified, are the ones he will glorify in the future. None are lost in the process. Let me read that again, if you understand. This has so much potency, so powerful. And I think we, and we've heard this many times before, but to understand the significance of it, you should rest, sleep easy, that whatever you hear again or read again in the future with respect to your security as God's child, rest if only in these few verses here in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. And I summarized. The ones the Father foreknew, predestined, called and justified are ones he will glorify in the future. None, absolutely none, are lost in the process from the foreknowledge all the way to glorification in the future. In the process, none is lost. The Son, that is Jesus Christ himself. And, and there are references in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, Romans 3.25, Colossians 2.13, and 1 John 1.2 says these words, in part. Who has redeemed us, again referring to Jesus Christ, the Son, who has redeemed the believer, removed the wrath of God from the believer, justified the believer, forgave and sanctified the believer is the one who also stands as the believer's self-defense, the believer's attorney, advocate at God's supreme court. That's Jesus Christ. And then the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who regenerates, indwells, and seals us. That is what we call, sometimes referred to as a down payment towards our full inheritance by giving us the Holy Spirit, who baptizes us into union with Christ and into union with one another, or fellow believers. Think about this for a moment. Of all of that is involved, what the Father does in terms of foreknowledge, predestined, called us, justified us. He is the one who will ultimately glorify us in the future. That is what is being done on our behalf. The Son, who had redeemed us, removed the wrath, of God's wrath from us, justified us as well, forgave us, sanctified us. All of this has been done and becomes for us our mediator, our advocate, our attorney, if you please. Then the Holy Spirit who regenerates us, who indwells us, who seals us. The three persons of the Godhead are totally involved in the process of us becoming God's children. And to think about this, that for the genuine believer to lose his salvation, it would mean a total reversal or dismantling of the preceding works of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All of them have to fail. That is impossible. Because if it was, guess who would be celebrating? Yeah. If I could catch him up, put him in a box, Satan would certainly have been victorious. My brothers and sisters, let us be secure 
in whose we are and our relationship with him. John 3, First uh, John chapter 3, verse 1 to 3 says these words as I come to a conclusion here. See, he says, how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared, it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. For this reason, the world does not know him, does not know us, because it does not know him. Sometimes we say, this person looks like his mother or his father. The world may not recognize you, may not certainly respect you as God's child, but do not be perturbed or disturbed, downhearted. They did the same thing to our father. They did not recognize, did not honor him as they should. So be encouraged. Last week, I checked. I called the Department of Social Services and um, asked them, what is the process here in the Bahamas if I wanted to adopt a child? And they gave me some basic things that was necessary. They said, first of all, there has to be an assessment of the parents and their accommodations. I thanked them, and they told me as well that then having been assessed, I will have to fill out an application. Then it is sent to a committee for evaluation to see whether or not I or my wife and myself were suitable candidates to adopt this particular or particular child. If we were successful, then there was going to be some home visits from the department. And this home visit would be on a monthly basis for at least six months. And then after that, there is a final recommendation made to make the act or transition of adopting a particular child permanent. Of course, during that process of assessment, the six months, if there is something untoward that suggests that we are not adequate or competent parents, then the process stops at that point. I asked the lady at the end of the telephone and our discussion, tell me, ma'am, at the point that I am successful after six months, what about the, this child's prior life status? She said, well, at that point, it is totally in a sense, eradicated. They are now, this is a new family. The person, uh, your status has totally changed. And I thought, how does that work for us as children of God? Do you know that your status has totally changed from before you became God's child? Do you know that all of your sins were forgiven? I said, wow, you mean really? Really? All of your debts. So all that you owed a bank before you became a Christian, 
Oh no, don't try that. We'll talk afterwards. I'm not talking. All of your spiritual death were cancelled. And likewise, it says the complete severing and termination of all of your social relationships and legal connections, rights to one's natural family, are ceased. One becomes a permanent member of his new family. A permanent member of his new family. My brothers and sisters, you and I are permanent members of God's family. Permanent members of God's family. In the eyes of the Lord, he gains all rights to a fully legitimate and absolute son status in his new family. Amazing. Additionally, all previous financial obligation or debt were eradicated, canceled, as if they had never existed. That's our sin. Finally, he became heir to his father's estate. I don't understand in one sense, and yet I do apprehend in another that we as children of God, sometimes because we have not focused or given much thought to whose we are, and our, and our standing in relationship with God allow the concerns and cares of the world to cause us to become depressed to a point that we feel like no one cares for us. No one loves us. I'm all by myself. Or God, who says he's my father, seems so distant, so removed. And I become, I would people refer to today as Loss of, loss of self-esteem. When you recognize the extent to which God has gone for you and I to be a part of his family, I am well, almost ecstatic with gratitude. And so I can be alone or with my brothers and sisters and think of my relationship with God and what he has done for me. And it is indeed humbling and it just causes us to erupt in praise. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessings in heavenly in Christ Jesus in heavenly places. We are indeed blessed to be God's children. I wish and we read from Scripture again because it is written when we walk out of here and into our regular activities with the, the world where God has placed us. They may not readily acknowledge who your father is, but I encourage you to still remain faithful. And when they, you get some maybe direct assault that you and what you believe and what you represent is of no value, be not dismayed. They did the same thing to our elder brother, Jesus Christ, our Redeemer himself. So much so that they crucified him and they thought, now we got him. Not knowing that he, this was all premeditated, predestined, so that you and I can have this relationship that we have, that is to be called God's children. And it is so wonderful to be in God's family. And so with that in mind, I am encouraged that God comes and tells us that we are to go and spread to the world. Let people know. Invite them in. 
Some of us grew up in certain families where, you know, your family invited people from the neighborhood. And they all came, they spent much hours at your house. Some of them, you know, they came, they ate, they slept. Their parents fed them. But what they say, I wish I could stay here. You know, of course, there were some legal, legal obligations that that was probably not possible. But imagine giving the invitation to those people you meet. Telling them about your, do you brag about God? That God is good. And people in cars respond, say, all the time. Do you live that way? Do they have to ask? Or can they watch your lifestyle and know? Or do you create in them a curiosity and say, who, who's, who, who are you? You know, do you smile and say you are God's child? We need to get to know one another better, brothers and sisters, even here so that we can again feed off of the please, the encouragement of one another, iron sharpening iron as it were, so that together when we are dispersed into the world, we will speak with one voice, lifting up our great God, our Heavenly Father, who is absolutely sovereign, who has shown us great mercy, great grace, when we consider where we were, totally deprived, being elected by God, recipient of his grace, redeemed people, and let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That's amazing. And then totally secured. I don't have to worry whether or not I am God's child when I wake up. And when I mess up, as we do, and we often do, God has already taken care of that too, First John 1, 9. He's faithful and just and will forgive us when we sin. So even though, and that's good to feel that sensitive, sensitivity of the spirit that when we sin, I'm going to let dad know, I'm sorry, to, I said this, I did that, I should have said I didn't do that, I'm sorry. The relationship is still intact. The fellowship, based on your obedience, could be severed. And I encourage you even now, that if there is a disfellowship between you and God, or between you and another brother or sister, get it right. To do otherwise is simply to grieve the heart of our Father. And I don't understand how you can consciously consider grieving God's heart when you think about what he has done for us. My brothers and sisters, be encouraged. Think about whose we are and the process. And let's leave this place prepared to live as ambassadors, yea, as children of God, and looking to the future, as future, as heirs, currently heirs of God, when we will reach our final exaltation, elevation, glorification in the future, when we will see him as he is. Amen? Let us pray. Our Father, thank you for who you are, Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your, your justice, your election process. Thank you, Father, for your redeeming qualities. Thank you for the price that was paid for us. Father, we thank you for the Holy Spirit who seals us and dwells us. To make us, as it were, a down payment to what is still to come. We are so grateful. Father, we thank you and may you put in us an insatiable appetite to share the good news, to brag, as it were, about who our Father is, and the invitation for others to come 
and be a part simply by placing faith in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. Now as we leave this place, never able to leave your presence, Lord, we leave this place with a renewed commitment to serve you, to be obedient to you, and let people know that you are indeed worthy to be praised, that you are indeed a wonderful Father. These things, Father, I ask in the name of our Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ, and all of his children said, Amen.